You're listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and I am sad face emoji because my co-host, female zombie emoji, couldn't tape recorder emoji, microphone emoji, this calendar emoji. But I am excitedly happy face emoji that iZombie pencil emoji, Sara Saidi, could join me to talk about her television emoji. Don't hate the player, hate the brain emoji. Welcome back to the iPod emoji, headphones emoji, Sara. Hello, thanks for having me You're back again, you did uh, uh, Spanking the Zombie last season And I just listened to that interview again And you you had lamented that you didn't get to write a Blaine scene And yet again, you didn't get to write a Blaine scene Yes, I know, I've written three episodes of the show And Blaine hasn't been in any of my episodes (laughs) Um, But I will say, just a fun fact That he was originally supposed to be in this episode And there was... Um, a Blaine story written, oh, really? but we didn't have enough for it, so it is go- it got moved into a later episode. So I won't give any spoilers about um, what happens in it, but you guys will see it down the road. Okay, cool. Uh, that oftentimes happens in our episodes where we have so much plot we want to service, and it's almost like an embarrassment of riches that we end up having to take some things out and push them into later episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so definitely wanted to do... Uh, uh, like a little bit of news, I just wanted to say the ratings were up from point two to point three, and uh, yeah, this is our first week with Supergirl back. So I'm thinking that's like a stronger opener for Liv and the gang uh, than Legends. Of- yeah, I think that definitely helped. Yeah, and we had a, an awesome article, like a, more more like an editorial piece for TV Guide Online today that said the, the headline's just "This is obvious, but the CW should renew iZombie." <laughs> <laughs> That's really nice. It's been great to see the amount of support online um, with fans really wanting the show to come back. And we're all anxiously awaiting to hear whether or not it's getting renewed or not. It's definitely getting renewed. I mean, and I also have wood in front of me, so (laughs) go ahead and knock on it. Um, So last time you were on, you let us know that you had a book coming out in 2018. And it's out now and it's called Americanized, Rebel Without a Green Card. Do you mind just uh, quickly telling us, telling our listeners what it's about? Of course. Um, So it's a memoir that I wrote about growing up in the United States undocumented. Um, My family moved to the Bay Area when I was two years old from Iran. And we entered the country on a visitor's visa. And then once that expired, we sort of entered the arduous and complex process of trying to become permanent residents. Mm. So I was documented from the age of two until I was 20 years old. And then when I was 26, I was finally able to become an American citizen. So it's a lot of stories about dealing with um, being an immigrant and being raised by immigrant parents. And also I tried to throw in a lot of just your sort of run of the mill teen angst stories because I felt like despite the fact that I was dealing with this whole immigration mess, I was, I still had the same hangups and insecurities that an average teenager experiences as well. Yeah. Which is great. So I, I definitely think that any young adult reading it could be like, listen, you know, <laughs> illegal immigrants, they're just like us, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was, um, that, that was a big theme of the book yeah. for me as I was writing it was to 
really make people realize that at the end of the day, we're like any other family. Um, and obviously the issue is very timely these days. So I'm hoping that if anyone's going through what I went through as a teenager, they'll be able to get a little bit of comfort from reading the book. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I also add a lot of diary entries as well for my high school year. So I just wanted to make sure that the book was told through a humorous lens, but also a very relatable lens. Mm-hmm. And that it felt authentic. So I kind of, I, I often joke that 16 year old me was a consultant on the book because I was able to go back and read my journals and use excerpts um, throughout the book. Yeah. And I, I loved hearing about, you know, your family and the sacrifices they made and, you know, the, really breaking down the stereotypes uh, about uh, what an Iranian family is like as compared to what your, you know, yours is very, it was much more liberal than, you know, you would, you know, most people would think Iranian families are like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's a lot of things about my family that probably fit the stereotypes that we all have in our heads. And then a lot of things about my parents that were very progressive because of the fact that they brought us to the United States and wanted us to have the freedoms that we wouldn't have had if we lived in Iran. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, my main objective in writing the book was to try and give people insights into what it's like to be undocumented and how, lengthy and expensive the process of becoming a permanent resident can be because I don't think that that's something that we hear about um, when it comes to talking about immigration. It was also, for me, a great little time capsule instead of 90s, which kind of brought me back to my teenage years. Uh, the, the references to like meeting Ethan Hawke and um, your love of Winona. Uh, <laughs> you actually... Yeah, uh, I still- go ahead. Sorry. I, I still have a soft spot in my heart for Winona Ryder, yeah. for sure. You actually, uh, uh, you talk about meeting e- Ethan, but you kind of reference about screaming at Winona at a concert. Could you elaborate about that? That's- <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but I suppose if I didn't want to talk about it, I shouldn't have included it in my book. Um, yeah, I was at a U2 concert with some friends in high school, and... After the concert was over, we sort of lingered by the area where they were taking people backstage because we were hoping we would catch a glimpse of the band. And all of a sudden we saw Winona Ryder and Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. And I think she was maybe one of the first famous people I'd ever seen. Now that I've lived in Los Angeles for a long time, I've gotten used to celebrity sightings. Was such a fan of hers and I just started screaming, Winona, I love you. Winona, I want to be you. And she was just like completely pretending like she couldn't hear me. <laughs> and then I'll just share another funny story. There's um, an anecdote in the book about getting to meet Ethan Hawke at his book signing years ago in San Francisco. And then when the book came out a few months ago, I had a book signing and a reading in Los Angeles with mostly just friends and family. And my colleague on iZombie, Talia Gonzalez actually moderated it. And afterwards um, she sent me a text and she said, I ran into Ethan Hawke outside of the bookstore and talked to him. (laughs) I was like, what? Like, did you tell him he's in my book? And she's like, Oh, I forgot. But it would have, I'm I'm so sad that I didn't run into him because I feel like it would have been the, most perfect story mm-hmm. to say I just had a book signing and I wrote about going to your book signing in my book. But, um, but I do think that there is something sort of strange about the fact that he just happened to be outside of the bookstore. I remember wearing, you know, flannel all the time, of course, and uh, trying to learn his song. I'm nothing on, on the guitar <laughs> from the reality bite soundtrack. So, yeah. yeah. 
I have a framed reality bites poster in my office, so we could spend the next hour talking about the nineties. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We should really get into this, the episode. Uh, so cool. Yeah. I'm going to put a link in our show notes for people to check out your book and your website. Um, I suggest everybody reads it. It was a really fun read. It went really quick too, you know? Oh, thank you. Robin. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into the episode. Uh, don't hate the player, hate the brain. I'm gonna do. We're gonna do kind of a recap. I got all these questions to ask you about it. Okay. Sure. All right. So we start off with uh, one life to live, which uh, I guess uh, goes back to, you, to your uh, soap opera roots, right? Yes. Uh, I used to be an executive at ABC Daytime, so One Life to Live was obviously one of the shows on our lineup. I remember watching that. Uh, during the whole uh, rape storyline, uh, then you probably will be like, "Which rape storyline?" But <laughs> I'm, I'm like, "There's a lot of rape storylines." <laughs> I just remember uh, doing a night shift and coming home, and it was just like all my children, one life to live, and then I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so we have um, Liv and Levon and Stan um, discussing what came up actually in a lot of discussion last week, which was, Oh, great job, Liv. You're going to scratch all these people. How are you going to feed them? Well, they're thinking about this. And, uh, one of them is, uh, going to the zombie services and finding out about these ID cards. And then of course this brother love, which everybody I think watching was like, Ooh, they're going to meet Angus. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we get into the, the actual victim here. Um, so, first off, I got the stigma of guys drinking girly drinks. Does this happen in reverse? Like, do girls like, oh, wow, you're really drinking a guy drink? Well, I don't know if it happens in reverse, <laughs> but I have a little bit of, like, a, a prejudice against girls. Like, I have this belief that there are certain girls out there who purposely drink guy drinks mm -hmm. because they know that that's attractive to men. And it's sort of they're putting it on a little bit. Uh -huh. Like there's actually a scene earlier in the season that makes me laugh, um, where Peyton is at Romero's and she orders, I think, a T-bone and a bourbon on the rocks. And in my head, I was like, "There's no way she's not like just eating salad." <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I do think the reverse of that does exist a little bit. I don't think women are making fun of each other, but I think it does feel like a badass move to not drink a girly drink. Um. How has negging ever worked? Why Why does this work in society? I mean, it's got to work if it's so popular, right? It works sometimes. I I'm sure it does. I mean, I think that about most of the times where a guy has used a pickup line on me that I find to be ridiculous, but the first thought that I have, or if my friends have ever experienced that, the first thought that I have is that clearly it's worked for them before, unless it's the first time they're trying it out. Mm. Um, so I always wonder, I'm like, who are these people that this is working on? Um, yeah, I don't know. Negging is, it's terrible. Yeah. Hey, you're ugly. Uh, and have the other person just being like, oh, I have to make sure that this other person doesn't think I'm ugly. So I'm going to throw myself out of it. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> don't do it, people. Um, and then we meet Amanda here played by Bar Paley. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, yes, I think that's correct. She she actually um, uh, just played Helen of Troy on Legends of Tomorrow, so she was just on, on Monday nights a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um, and so we have this guy, uh, Seth, uh, does a whole creeper move where he's like – he like tells Max that he's in love with her, but his first line is like, I'm right behind you in spin class. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a Rob Thomas line, and it makes me laugh because it is it is that sort of awkward thing that you say that like like he just blurts it out, and he not realizing how creepy it is <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> So uh, player Max makes his move and we end up in Max's uh, uh, swank apartment. And, um, and and I love that we get the scream when she discovers that he's dead. Then she just kind of jumps up, grabs her clothes and holds them to her chest and then screams again. Yeah, that was actually one of the uh, things that helped her win that part as we were watching the auditions was that she felt like she had the most comical over the top like the scream was just so perfect like some of the people really did understated screams and we wanted something that was really going to punctuate the end of the scene um so and she had to do it a few different times on set i was there that day when they were filming that scene and she knocked it out of the park every time yeah um i i forget what the episode is called but gossip brain the scream at the beginning of that and then how her, her friend just kind of looks at her like what's wrong with you <laughs> uh love a good scream. get to I think is the line or something yeah. like that, which always made us laugh in the room when we were talking about that scene. Uh, so we go to another amazing chapter title, Smashes to Smashes, Thrust to Thrust. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that one or was that another uh, John Bellina classic? I think that was John Bellina, although I will say the original uh, chapter title that I had, I still stand by it and thought it was good, which was Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, but the dogs was spelled D-A-W-G-S. <laughs> so, um, I'm just going to continue to tweet and talk about my chapter titles that get replaced because I still love them and stand by them. <laughs> but, but John Bolina has um, a unique talent for writing those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got a good yuck from Liv when we hear Wet Willy Sensitive Tips is Max's blog, um, which is, yeah, that's pretty yucky. Um, yeah. So, oh, and uh, a great joke from Ravi where he just kind of like kids with Liv about, hey, zombies all look alike now. You can't even tell them apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, the wiener cleaner. I, I, I have to say that I've actually gotten this in a stocking from my wife before this exact same thing so that's hilarious <laughs> i was like oh wiener cleaner like it's one of those things like i pl- thanks thanks honey but if the kids find this i don't know what i'm gonna say <laughs> what right, do i exactly. even yeah. yeah yeah i think i stumbled across it because i wanted them to i was just brainstorming funny things that they could find in that bedroom mm-hmm. that rang true to the character and um so i was looking up just male grooming products yeah. and that came up and I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> uh, and then she finds the uh, morning after pills and she says, and they say chivalry is dead. And I'm just wondering, are you guys deliberately dropping episode future episode titles into the scripts beforehand? Because this isn't the first time this has happened this season. That's so funny because I, I don't, we're not doing it deliberately. Uh-huh. And I think part of the problem is that when like, for instance, when I was writing the script, I wasn't in the room at all for the next episode. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a weird coincidence that I ha- happened to put in that joke. And then the next episode is about her um, being on LARPing brain, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just a weird coincidence. And then it wasn't something that got changed throughout the writing process. Yeah. But I guess I should say we do it deliberately because I feel like it makes us seem really smart and clever. So edit all that? No, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, edit all that. Tell people that we are completely deliberate about it because we're so smart. 
Um, this scene is going to this next part of the scene is going to go down in probably like top five at least. Uh, I zombie best scenes of all time, which is when the mood lighting immediately gets started, and Robbie and Liv immediately start making uh, Clive uncomfortable. Yeah, I I think it's pretty hilarious. Like that scene, actually, I have to give a lot of credit to Rob because it. Um, was supposed to end with just the music playing and the lights going dim and kind of off the expression of Liv knowing what she's in for with this brain that she has to eat. And he added all the dialogue between Ravi and Liv sort of fake coming on to Clive, and I think it played so perfectly with with our actors and just the dynamic that they have with each other and then the way Clive was able to just clap and turn the lights back on and stop the music was a pretty perfect moment. Uh, so this brain gets to be made into uh, what you've said on Twitter is spotted dick, which is, uh, that's perfect. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bummed that it was, I'm, I'm sure it was confusing to people because oftentimes there's scenes that we have to cut um, because we don't have room for them. And there was originally a scene that we shot, which after she makes it, I think it's either... Um, Ravi or Peyton because Peyton was in the scene originally where they talk about spotted dick like they smell it and they talk about it so that we actually explain to the audience what she's eating Um, and unfortunately that had to be cut so only people that I think have watched the Great British Bake Off probably knew what she was eating but yeah it was Gonzalez who came up with that in the room and I just think it was really perfect Uh, yeah I I don't know I Sometimes it's funny to hear what it is within the episode. Sometimes it, I, I love the fact of kind of going into it later and then somebody on Twitter like says, oh, that was Spotted Dick. Or, you know, when, when you guys uh, tweets out that, uh, yeah, I, it's a lot of fun to find out afterwards. You watch it again. Yeah, it's good for us too to just see if it's, if it's something that – it's like a wink-wink to the audience. Is it something that they can put together themselves? And I think oftentimes it's like a fun game to play as a viewer mm-hmm. to kind of – find the connection between what she's eating and the brain that she's going to be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next chapter title is the quick in the head, <laughs> which uh, this is a outrageous scene <laughs> yeah, with was, Donnie cutting was, uh, Dino's head off. Yeah, this was a scene too, that actually um, because it tied into the Blaine story in the episode, we had considered cutting it and then we ended up putting it back in and I was really glad to get it back in because I think it's one of the funnier, very like iconic iZombie type scenes. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to get it back in. And it was really funny to write a scene and be cognizant of the fact that I was writing something between a zombie and a zombie head. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like nothing can shake Dino. Like he, he, he can't just like go, oh, my life's over now, like lament at all. He's just like, so what are you going to do now, you know? And then the whole Gwyneth Paltrow thing comes up and he can't help but start laughing. I know. I thought that was a great moment and a great choice to have him laugh and still be shooting the shit with Donnie <laughs> and being horrified by the fact that he's basically dead. And, and, uh, and, and- uh, how... Donnie gets into his face and instinctively I'm like, Donnie, back off. He could hurt you. But no, it's just his head. there. Yeah, it's just his head. Yeah. We had done some stuff that um, 
I didn't end up staying in the script, but of having um, Don, Donnie putting Dino's hair in a man bun on the top of his head. Like, there's just a lot of fun brainstorming, like all the ways that Donnie could screw with him, knowing that Dino couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, but I personally love the Gwyneth Paltrow reference. Yeah. Um, and and it's almost set up a new kind of rule in the zombie mythology that zombies can survive just as a head, so they can just be a head in a jar, like Futurama style. Yeah, it's funny because I think I saw something online or on Twitter about the fact that that isn't something that we've ever established. And I thought, oh, I guess that's true. We've never really seen it before, but it's something that hopefully we can continue to play with in the future. Yeah. Maybe we will see those had come out someday down the line. So much comedy ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Liv is now rolling on Player Brain and uh, asks uh, – uh, Amanda, what's your freak number? So what's what's that all about? <laughs> so a freak number is basically the Richter scale of how kinky you are in bed. So the more kinky you are, the higher your freak number is. Okay. Um, yes, for for anybody who wasn't sure. Okay, um, I'm not sure what mine is, and <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm not sure if I'd want to say it on the podcast either. So. <laughs> I don't know, Robin. I feel like if your wife is buying you wiener cleaner, then you might have a pretty high freak number. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, uh, we live squeezes uh, Clive's chest here. That was really funny. Um, and uh, the not a bad way to go. The, when we find out about the condoms, not a bad way to go. Who's with me? Which is just a classic douche bro line. Yeah, definitely. And I think too. I'll just add that. We have a lot of fun in the room trying to think of like Rob Thomas's philosophy is always like, what's the most fun? And just in terms of how the victims die, we have a lot of fun pitching ideas on what's something that's that's unique and is either going to lead to really funny dialogue or is going to lead to a funny scene or a gag. Um, Like, for instance, I remember when we were talking about um the the woman and the dowager in uh, the second episode of the season, mm-hmm. the way she dies, um, there's just a lot of back and forth about that until we landed on the golf ball gun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we spend a really long time sometimes coming up with the methods of killing people. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I, it's got to be an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah, it's a little, definitely a little morbid. Yeah. Um, I think I want to say probably um, one of the favorite deaths on the show amongst the writers is um, the episode where the woman gets smushed by the air conditioner. Uh-huh. So that's that's one of the ones that we that sort of has set the bar for us. Like, how can we match that and beat it? And it even gets referenced in this episode. Yes, it does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so Chase is looking for bugs. Uh, can you explain why, or maybe you can't? <laughs> um, I think we. I, I think I can explain it without giving away any spoilers. I think just in terms of like based on what we've seen of him so far, and some of the things that happened to him last season with Carrie Gold. Right. Um, we thought it made sense to explore the idea of him being slightly paranoid. Um, slightly worried about the people working for him. And I think that it also helps establish why he, in major, he sees somebody that he can really trust. Mm. And uh, so he sets off major to buddy up with uh, Russ, who is just the worst person ever. Uh, We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, 
So I, I love Clive's Easy Pieces is another chapter title. Um, and so we meet Zoe here, and uh, that's where we get the whole emoji uh, text that Clive reads off, yeah. which is hilarious. Well, it's kind of a perfect way for us to get around BSNP, too, is just describe the emoji instead of actually having to say the word. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was fun to get to figure out, like, oh, we can just use eggplant emoji instead of saying what we would really uh, want to say in that moment but wouldn't be allowed to say. And uh, I love that um, uh, Liv tries negging her and uh, she leaves her room by saying, no, I'm a 10, you know, and gives her a wink. <laughs> Yeah, she had a little bit of sass at the end of that scene that I think worked really well. That's great. And, of course, uh, Liv telling Clive that she's – tell Ravi that I'm going to be tapping some ass. She's <laughs> writing that out slowly. Uh, so funny. Yeah. I have to say, of of the brains that I've written so far, which was um, Psycho Stalker brain and Dominatrix brain and Toxic Bachelor player brain, this one has been my favorite. Oh, that's cool. Uh, those are good, some some good brains to be assigned too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, all mine are usually. I feel like if you look at the writers and the brains that they end up doing, a lot of the times it kind of connects to what our personalities are. And I feel like mine have always been more in the vein of relationship brains or sex brain. Um, but yeah, this one was was a lot of fun because I think too it's sort of. Um, just in terms of getting to write a character that's so unlike myself mm-hmm. and to sort of be able to put my shoes in the massage, wear the shoes of a misogynist. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's a little bit liberating in a way, but um, I had a good time with it. I know when Rob met, read my first draft, he definitely said that there would be probably a lot of broadcast standards and practice <laughs> issues. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw you tweeted out that you did some research. You read the game. Is that like a player guide? Yeah. I mean, that was, um, it was kind of one of our inspirations for this character is it's a, it's a guide to being a pickup artist. And it was, I can't remember when the book came out, but when it came out, it was really controversial because it was really misogynistic. Mm. And I think it, it talks a lot about negging and we got peacocking from that. Um, so I definitely, um, look through that book, but mostly just looked at the glossary terms because that was just helpful in terms of dialogue. And it was just also a shortcut in terms of getting the content of the book without actually having to read the whole thing. Uh, so you got to write, uh, the first meeting between Angus and Liv and Levon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. I think some of the time too, when we're breaking an episode, um, we, it kind of comes from a place of, oh, it would be really fun to see these two characters interact mm-hmm. and what's an organic way that we can get them to be interacting with each other. And I think it worked out perfectly in that she was on this quest to get brains for the Underground Railroad and um, Angus as Brother Love is providing brains to his congregation. So it, I believe it started from a place of we've never seen these two people interact and it feels like the later we get in the season, the harder it's going to be to get them there. And so it was a lot of fun to get to see them cross paths finally. And I always, as a viewer, love moments where storylines converge and characters that you don't normally see together end up in the same place. Oh, yeah. I always feel like it's really interesting to watch. Absolutely. When they, when she walked in, when she, they walked up to the church, I was, I was like, you know, rubbing my hands together. I was like, Oh, they actually haven't met before. This is gonna be awesome. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 
and uh, he he talks some uh, niceties about Blaine here. Does does Angus love his son? Do you think, or is he just I don't know? Is he just twisted? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's hard to say. Um, I think that he is definitely twisted. <laughs> Uh, I think he also has a lot of respect for Blaine because Angus is so pro-zombie at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, Blaine is kind of one of the OGs of zombies. And Blaine was also the person that turned Angus into a zombie. Um, So I think that there is a lot of newly found respect for his son. And you guys will definitely see that play out more over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. So we go to a one-time buffer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, one of my favorite uh, Live lines from this episode is I think I banged that dude (laughs) And then just look Look how sad he looks (laughs) Yeah, I love that moment too And I think that was a moment in the room Where we do something I don't know if any of the writers have talked about this in the podcast But once we know what all the scenes Are in the episode and where they're going To go in terms of what act They're going to be in and what order we do something called a massage pass and that's basically Rob walking us through each scene and we talk about the scene um, in specifics and in a lot of detail and that's our opportunity to pitch things. And I think that scene is really supposed to be about the A story and the case of the week. But then there's that moment where once we're talking about it, it's like, oh, wait a second, maybe there's an opportunity here to reference the history between Chase and Liv because it's not something that we've touched on that much since they slept together. And I think it was a fun way to get to do it with her on this brain. And uh, I mean, I think you're the first person to make Jason Doring smile this season. (laughs) Yeah, I really like him when he's flirty and um, ha- like one of my favorite scenes of his was last season when him and Liver in the bar together. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's something because because his storyline is so serious, it's not something that we get to showcase very often. But I feel like when we do, the actor really nails it. And I think, I mean, obviously for the Veronica Mars fans, that was so much a part of Logan's yeah. character. Yeah, and how he's imp- <laughs> he says he's impressed that she's finally tanning and dying, and she says it's over, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting about the the whole wig thing. Uh, you know, she doesn't exactly like. I think both um, uh, Chase and Clive make the mistake of saying tan and die, where really she's just wigging and dying, um, which is cool because I don't think we ever really want to lose the, you know, the the live zombie look. Yeah, I think it's so iconic to the show. Uh, And yeah, that's actually a really good point. I'm trying to think if we've ever brought that up amongst ourselves in the writer's room because she is wearing a wig. She's not just dyeing her hair, but I guess that's that's dying, I guess, encompasses anything that includes changing the way your hair looks or your hair color on our show. Um, So Peyton discovers Clive uh, going through Tinder. Um, He's swiping right a lot, if if I noticed (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I had actually a hard time with the Tinder stuff because by the time I met my husband and got married, like it was the beginning of Tinder, I feel like, when I got married. So I've never used it. And so I had to really rely on some of the younger people at iZombie. Uh, I think I asked John Bellina a bunch of questions like, how would I reference his profile? Like when um, Peyton says something like, what happened all, did you delete all your matches? Like he really helped me with the lingo. Um, but that's really funny that he was swiping right a lot. So Clive is seeing a lot of people in Seattle. He's interested in, uh, uh, I almost said Ravi, uh, Raul actually was, uh, uh, 
tweeting uh, before this episode is said like ask the caramel drizzle and it was just like ask me any sort of uh, like dating advice or whatever and so I sent him a tweet said how do I get my wife to listen to my podcast <laughs> and he said oh have have Malcolm Goodwin on the show he's irresistible and then we had you had Clive say oh this is us is emotionally manipulative and I had to tweet him back I was like you lost her. <laughs> so funny yeah that was fun to come up with basically the things that that clive dislikes that everyone else in the world likes going out and warm just warm weather (laughs) yeah exactly i'm like what are the things that like are you pretty universally liked by people and something that would be kind of a turnoff to see in someone's tinder profile is that they never want to leave their house (laughs) and they hate warm weather um and this is us just made me laugh because I feel like it, everyone loves that show. Uh-huh. It's like a pretty controversial opinion to have these days. Um, I've heard it before though. So if you really wanted to ding a show, you should have been like walking dead though. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so unrealistic. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course it's, it was a great setup for an amazing uh, uh, photo uh, him standing next to seven foot Sven. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, we just really went for anything that would that would be what people wouldn't do on a dating profile. Uh, well, Malcolm's been you know no. between that and the the scrapbook that was that was the hurt stalker, right? So yeah, you've had him posing for some pretty funny pictures. Yeah, I've gotten to do a lot of fun Clive stuff in my episodes, and we definitely there's a couple moments where we we thought of including game of thrones references but i feel like we've gone to that well a few times with him so we decided to leave it out of this episode uh so uh ravi is delighted he gets to take clive out which is just like you're watching this and you're just like oh yes this is like candy this is candy for any iZombie fan just to have clive being taken under ravi's wig that was something that we talked about for a while actually like once we had decided that Clive's storyline with Bazio this season would be them trying to navigate having an open relationship. It was just a scene that we always thought would be really funny is to see Ravi and him going out and Ravi playing wingman. And we just, it was one of those scenes that kept getting kind of pushed into later episodes. Mm-hmm. And then once it felt like maybe this was our opportunity to do it, it really ended up being what inspired us to do player brain for live. Cause then it felt like it would be just such a, funny scene to throw her into the mix as well um so yeah i think i think i tweeted this but it was definitely like a lot of times what sells rob on a brain is just a scene that he thinks will be really fun um and that was it in this episode was the idea of live on player brain trying to help clive get a date and you know it Robbie doesn't do the greatest job here. They end up trying to hook up with uh, some taken ladies, uh, Gunner and yeah. Steger here, uh, <laughs> to take them and the bottle of vodka with them. There's a lot of Nordic men in this episode, Gunner and Sven. And, yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the what we've been waiting for is Liv showing up and says, amateur hour is over. Let's go get some nasty. Yeah. Uh, I won't tell you what Rob had originally written that had to be taken out. <laughs> Come on, now you have to. <laughs> I know, I can't. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to be like, actually, can you leave that out of yeah. no, but we Can, can you describe it in emojis? <laughs> um, no, I don't think there is an emoji for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun to push the envelope with this one because there is actually some things that 
stayed in that I was surprised by that I thought we would have to rewrite and we didn't. But I think Let's Go Get Some Nasty is pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. I could catch any D in here, she says, too. Which is, I was yeah, like, wow. One that I didn't think we would be allowed to keep in and it, no one ever said anything about it. So it stayed. <laughs> that scene, I don't know. I don't want to sit here and read your script back to you, but... Uh, with her just going on and on about like, you know, she could, and Robbie just saying, wait, wait, hold on. This is a human club. And he, she's like, oh, I wouldn't make them brains for breakfast. Pause, pause. <laughs> they wouldn't stay for breakfast. Just <laughs> great. Yeah. This was probably one of my favorite scenes to write. Cause it was just, just the dynamic of Robbie and Liv mm-hmm. observing and Robbie sort of being on the live side a little bit when it came to certain aspects of the advice that she was giving, but then she just takes it to such an extreme. And then getting to see Clive so incredibly uncomfortable and out of his element is always so much fun. And it's perfect that, you know, he ends up doing the the classic move where, you know, the guy hasn't gotten over the girl yet, so he's got to talk to the potential girls about the old, you know, the old relationship. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I want to be honest, that is dumb. <laughs> <That'd be great. laughs> uh, so uh, we go to, to the hotel. Liv wants to have a cheap fling. Um, she texted down to duck, <laughs> which uh, I don't know. Did you have to change that line from? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a lot of fun with down to duck because it's just the easiest way to infer what she was actually trying to text. Mm-hmm. And then Clive hooks up with a prostitute, which is surprising. Yeah, we actually went back and forth about that a lot in the room. Um, There's a healthy debate about whether or not Clive would go to a prostitute. And I think the reason we ended up doing it was that it wasn't because he has to pay for sex. It's because he he couldn't handle the idea of... And I think there's actually a scene in the script that we ended up losing because we didn't have room for it, but it was that there is a girl that he ends up meeting at the club that he really hits it off with, Mm -hmm. and there's that moment where he could go home with her and decides not to because she's just so into him and so sweet, and he just can't... um, He doesn't want to hurt anyone or just having sex where there are going to be emotions involved, even if it's not his emotions, just isn't is very unclive-like. And so he ends up doing something else that feels very unclive-like, but it's more transactional, so it feels safer in a lot of ways. Yeah. And what, what through me, she says, come in, detective. You know, so I was like, oh, have we seen this girl before? Or, you know, I almost imagine she's like uh, perhaps maybe a, a CI or somebody that's been in the precinct before. Right. That he knows that he knows she's definitely a prostitute because of his job, you know? Yeah. That, that was the idea. The idea was that it's somebody that he knows that he has like some history with. Um, and we always thought that maybe it was somebody that he would have known in his vice days, even though we were never very explicit about that yeah. in the script, but we figured the audience would probably put it together. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, I love that, uh, you had live, uh, text, uh, your crush, uh, detective Kavanaugh, uh, down to duck text as well. <laughs> Yeah, I will find any opportunity to get Kavanaugh into a scene. <laughs> and it, and I, it actually cleared up something. I mean, we were wondering about what his intentions towards uh, uh, Michelle were, you know, whether he was just, um, just you know, a good partner and kind of chummy with her. You know, he, he put his hand on her a couple of times. So we're reading into that a little bit too much, I guess. He is looks like he's a, he's a married man and he's, you know, he's happily married except for when yeah. somebody sends him a text. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's actually so funny that that's the first time that we established the fact that he was married because we always joked um, last season. I think it's when she's on Gossip Rain. She sees a moment between him and DeVore and she's yeah. like, oh, there's something yeah. going on. And in my head, I always love the idea that they were having some sort of torrid affair. Um, but yeah, Kavanaugh is happily married. Um, but that didn't stop Liv from texting him in the middle of the night. Yeah, right. Um, and then we get this heartbreaking scene with uh, Clive and Basio. Did you make him make her your special breakfast? And uh, that the fact that uh, Basio hasn't slept with anybody, and Clive must have just been assuming too much. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, that's just one of those moments where we we one of the things that we talked about in the room is how can we make their storyline different from what we've seen between Liv and Major in terms of two people that are together but can't be intimate with each other. And with Liv and Major, it ended up imploding and they ended up breaking up. Um, but we thought maybe we could take a different route with Clive and Basio, maybe play something that feels a little bit more adult, is that they would have this understanding that they would be able to sleep with other people, not necessarily talk to each other about it, and stay together. Um, so I think it was a really interesting choice and an interesting surprise that Basio hasn't slept with anyone because I think the audience probably also assumed that she had yeah, after totally. Liv saw her totally. at the club. Um, and I think it was just one of those moments where we could really like pour salt in that wound for Clive. And of course, Malcolm played it so perfectly at the end of the scene. And I loved that we got to linger with him in that pain for a while yeah. before we cut to the next scene. Yep. Um, so we go to Chase... Chase's wheeled uh, Marsh out. Uh, turns out that uh, uh, he's being. I love that he is being advised by his lawyer, and he's like, "My lawyer was very clear on this. Shut my mouth." <laughs> and I'm like, I know what lawyer he has, and it's good to know that Brant Stone yeah. is alive. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you caught that because that was something I should have tweeted. Was that that was definitely our wink, wink that Brant Stone is his lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> that's obviously his catchphrase. And we first hear about uh, Huma Katan, which, uh, I mean, I only know of one other Huma. <laughs> so I wasn't sure if you were making a reference to Huma Abedin. Well, we were a little bit, definitely. Like, that was the re- We just, in the room, it made us laugh because it's Huma, but human. And oh, yeah. Zoe, oh, yeah. Bixby. and so it was sort of started out as, like, a lot of times we have names that we use in the room that don't end up being the character names once we're writing the script. And that one just always stuck. Um, but yeah, so there was a little bit of a reference to her, um, but we also just thought it was funny because it was the human name being Huma and then changing it to Zoe when she's a zombie. I had not even thought about that. That's, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little too much of an insight. Like those things that we talk about in the writer's room that we think will be clear to other people (laughs) that are only clear to us. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, Chase has sent his VP of getting stuff done to the 206 Weekly, and, um, uh, we see Rachel is back, Rachel Greenblatt, um, and, uh, she mentions that she's investigating Brother Love, so that might be something that continues on, I don't know, but, um, yeah, so... So they they take this newsroom by force, and and it would be the vile Roche, Russ Roche, who uses the words fake news on our amazing <laughs> show. That that those two awful words <laughs> came from the worst character. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that just in terms of what's going on politically mm-hmm. that have inspired a few of the Fillmore Graves things, like as far as the fake news reference or a little bit of 
Chase's paranoia or things that Chase has tweeted. Um, I'm actually trying to think if we've gotten to that stuff yet, but you'll see a little bit more of that. And I feel like that, that was inspired by some of the things that we're seeing actually happen um, politically these days. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The wall, there's a lot of things that are like allegories for what we're dealing with now. Um, But I think there was a lot of, I don't know if there is confusion on Twitter regarding major and what he's doing. And although he's doing it out of loyalty to Fillmore Graves and to chase, Russ is a pretty bad guy and the stuff that he's doing with skimming brains is having a really negative impact on Seattle. So I think what major is doing is really for the greater good of the city as of now. Yeah. But you'd have to admit that some of the things that major, I mean, major shoots a laptop out of Rachel's hands. I mean, that's, He's committed. He's committed. He's committed to being undercover. (laughs) (laughs) He's convincing all of us. (laughs) I mean, shooting a laptop a couple seasons ago, we saw him kidnapping and tranking zombies. So he's he's definitely the type of guy that I guess oftentimes ends up having to do the wrong things for the right reasons. And I think that you will see more of that um, as the season goes on. I actually have, uh, you know, later on our feedback, I just want to reference it. Uh, somebody quoted on the app uh, TV time. His name's Derek. He says, uh, it's not a season of I zombie unless major does something inque- incredibly questionable from a moral standpoint. <laughs> so Yeah, that's exactly right. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if the audience goes on that ride with him um, as his character arc progresses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also really helpful in that, it, it adds a lot of tension to the live and major dynamic and relationship. And I think that that's really what you want to see with a couple that the audience is rooting for, but we don't want them to become stale or boring. Right. And I think that um, Robert Buckley also does a really great job of playing it in a way where you do sort of understand where he's coming from and you are a little bit sympathetic towards him. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where people net out on Live and Major by the end of the season because there's a lot of good stuff coming up between the two of them. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I just think I was like worried. I was like, well, he's disappointed Liv with the Mamalioni execution, and now he's disappointing Peyton at the end of this episode. I'm like, oh man, is he going to break Ravi's heart too, just to fully commit yeah. to this whole uh, charade? Or, you know, or I don't know if you want to call it a charade, but trying to get in deep with uh, Fillmore Graves and with Russ Roche. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think because the fact that they're kind of have the no secrets club yeah. this season, but I think that there's a lot of things like similar to what Liv was doing in season one of having the secret and not being able to tell people because she thought she was doing what was best for everyone else. And I think that's a lot of what major is dealing with right now. Uh, so we go to everybody must get phoned. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so Liv and Clive realize they need to go to zombie services And uh, we have this amazing scene with Liv and Levon Where she says that douchebag brain is worn off Uh, And and it's great because you you set up this really nice moment with Liv and Levon And she apologizes to Levon about brains because they caused problems in the past and this is actually like a, a thing for Liv. Like this has caused some major problems for her. So when Levon says, "Oh, I can roll with it," like the look on Liv's face, it, it's as if those words really make her so happy. But of course, the brain overwhelms her uh, when she uh, ends up kissing him, and then we hear the sound of a belt belt being unbuckled. <laughs> off yeah. Camera. 
Yeah, I'm curious to know because the way that it was intended is that even all of that stuff that she's saying to him is just a put on mm-hmm. because she knows that that's the way to, you know, butter him up and um, try and get him to hook up with her. Um, but I think it works really well because it is later in the episode. And usually I think what we've signaled to the audience is that the brain is a lot of times fading by the end of the episode. And so I hope the audience was really surprised by that moment and thought it was all, I mean, the things that she's saying to him are actually true, but I think she's using it to her advantage. Yeah. Oh gosh. No, it was, it was, it was like a sweet moment. And then when you hear those, the belt being unbuckled and then how he backs away from her and she ends up walking out of the room, blowing him a kiss was just hilarious. Uh, So a great ending to their little story arc in the episode. Yeah. Uh, so Liv wears uh, Pharrell's hat to do some peacocking. <laughs> which, yeah. Did you guys say like, oh, it's got to be Pharrell's hat? Or Yeah, I think that was Rob because um, <laughs> it felt like it was the most ridiculous thing that she could possibly put on her head. <laughs> did that bathroom have a mirror? <laughs> which is a great timeline. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, she ends up stealing the Fillmore Graves ID printer. Um, and Clive notices some strangeness that's going on and, you know, she's pretty much tells him it's better for him not to know. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to all of everybody being in the know, but it's also great that, you know, Clive respects her enough that he's not going to push it just not just yet, but I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a really good moment between the two of them. Cause a lot of it is left unsaid, but they have such a nice shorthand with each other that he knows that at this point he's not going to push her. So, uh, we get, uh, you know, Huma slash Zoe gets found out and she doesn't care. They can stick her in a freezer. My life was over when I met Max, Max Roberts. And I, I just wrote it out like, like some of the best arrests on this, uh, show are the ones where you can actually sympathize with the murderer. Yeah. I, I really like those a lot. Definitely. I agree. I feel like it was, this storyline takes a really interesting turn because it starts out really comical and that, and a lot of times we don't, we're not planning on that. It sort of is organic in terms of what we're discussing in the room. And then we kind of ended up realizing like, wow, this has really become a story about consent. And, um, and also another thing that we don't talk about a lot, which I'm happy about because I tend to not like television shows where female characters, all they care about is like having kids or being a mother or having a baby. Um, but it's not something that we reference a lot, that it's something that is taken away from you once you get turned into a zombie. So I was thought it was really interesting mm-hmm. that we got to have a character say, like, I wanted to have kids, I wanted to have a normal life, and that was taken away from me without my consent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. Uh, we go to uh, the meeting of, uh, you know, the powers that be of New Seattle, uh, Chase, and then uh, Mayor Baracus and Peyton and... Major and Russ and uh, Russ again says fake news. <laughs> I, just, I love the look on Peyton's face when those words come out. She's like, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. And uh, Chase even blurts out that he doesn't regret the execution. And they say, I did, or I think it was Peyton that says, I didn't ask. Um, so he, I, you know, he doth protest too much. You know, he, he definitely is feeling some guilt, I believe, even though yeah. it's for the greater good, you know, from his point of view. Yeah. He still killed an old lady in front of a bunch of people. I know. Or the thing that's funny too, is we called her like 
before we cast um, the actors in the role, we kept referencing her as being an old lady. And then I'm like, oh, she's not she's not like a little old yeah. lady. Like she, she's just like probably, I don't know, in her early 50s, like um, late 40s. So I always thought that that was funny because some of those lines just ended up staying in the script. But he did. I mean, I think in it's a testament to the actress. Um, but because we didn't get to see that much of her, but I think that she was somebody that was so likable right out of the gate. Um, especially because we first see her with the little boy and helping him. Um, so yeah, it definitely puts Chase in a very, um, sticky situation as far as his decision to kill somebody that I think the audience really loved right away. Mm, Yeah. Um, so, uh, we go to live in Peyton's apartment and I like that we get some Allie and AJ snuck into this, uh, this episode as well. Yeah. And, and that she's listening to the song, I know, which, you know, Peyton now knows what lives up to, at least has a good clue. She's seeing ID badges being printed. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the reasons, like, it just felt like we needed to get to the place um, we're sort of at the halfway point in the season and getting to the place where more people are finding out about what Liv's doing. But I think one of the things that we talked about too, is that I could be wrong about this, but there hasn't been really a secret between Peyton and Liv before. Um, And something that the two of them might have to keep, um, keep from Ravi or keep from major. And so that felt like interesting to play that dynamic of that female friendship and them being in on a secret together that no one else knows about. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, I almost think that Ravi would fit into this almost naturally because he already helped her with a renegade ish, uh, mission earlier in the season. Definitely. And we see, uh, the, the face and the name Isabel Bloom on the ID and, uh, uh, Raul does keep talking up uh, Isabella Vidovic, uh, who's coming to the show uh, on Twitter. Um, is there anything you want to tell us about Isabella, or is that probably not a good thing to ask right now? Um, I think she's going to win everyone over. I think just in terms of the actress and the way the character has been, been written, um, and she's a lot younger than the rest of the cast, mm-hmm. or she's a teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how old the actress is, but the character, I think, is playing 15 or 16. So I think you're going to see Robbie especially in a more like older brother, fatherly role. And I think, obviously, there's so many things that are already incredibly appealing about him and his character, and I think you're going to get to see another side of him that's just going to endear him even more to the audience. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Um, was there anything else uh, that got cut from this episode that you wanted? I mean, you mentioned a few things, but I don't think so. I mean, we always, we always have a tendency usually on our ACE stories. Like the first thing, um, that we end up cutting is red herrings. Like when we realize that we have too much, sometimes we, the ACE stories have too many twists and turns and we realize like, Oh, we could probably pull something out and it's still going to be a strong mystery. Um, and I think in this episode, we had another red herring, which was a former fiance of Max's mm. who had broken up with him. And it was, I think, sort of our way of getting a little bit of insight into what made him the way that he is um, and why he has become a bit of a woman hater in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but it just was one of those things where it, it it was too many scenes and we couldn't service it. And it felt like um, we didn't necessarily need the story to take another turn. Uh well, I have some feedback here. I don't know if you can stay for much of it. Um, 
Do you want to go until 4.05? Is that okay? Ten more minutes? Uh, yeah, sure. At least give me a little bit of time here to play you uh, a voicemail from my co-host who, who wish she could be here. Uh, I'm going to play that for you through the microphone. Hopefully you can hear it well. Okay. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Stephanie. Uh, I'm so sorry I overextended myself this week, and I wanted to thank Sara for filling in for me. Wow. What? That's... I don't know. That's... I mean, like, who could ask for a better replacement? Uh, and I wanted to congratulate Sara on writing such a great episode of television. Our little zombie show has grown up and is, and is doing, like very timely um socially conscious themes such as you know hashtag me too so it was a hilarious episode until of course it wasn't um i just want to talk about levon about how uh he showed up and everybody just assumed like it's just unspoken that levon is going to be lives romantic interest and just slowly he's they're becoming closer and we don't know much about him from but we can uh, we we can tell a lot about his character just in uh it's, it's just an amazing uh, amazingly written character we're i just wanted to say we're enjoying levon very much and oh my gosh i can't say robin's um shipper name for Peyton and Ravi but they are how satisfying is it to see just the moment they you know look at each other and we know that they're back together uh, such a great episode I can't wait to hear sorry about the traffic you know uh, can't wait to hear the show bye that's uh, that was so nice. Steph calling from the side of the road I think <laughs> <laughs> that was so lovely of her to do that. Uh, uh, okay, uh, let me see. What do I have here? I have. Uh, I do say really quick. I'm really glad that she likes Levon because mm-hmm. I, I I really love that character too. And I think sometimes it's really hard, especially when you're only doing 13 episodes, to um, develop a love interest without it being like so obvious right away that oh, this is the new love interest. Yeah. Um, but I think that they have a lot of mystery with each other, and I think that they. The fact that they have um, this common goal that they're working towards together—it's—it's um, it's really and it, and it's going to get uh, more complex with Major as well. So stay tuned. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. Let me see. I let me read a email to you. That's probably as much time as I have for you. Uh, sure. It's okay. Uh, okay. So this is from Efrex. Uh, this guy likes writing uh, long emails to us. So uh, here we go. Um, Hey guys, something that I appreciate about this show is how the writers can have well-established characters change and or show new aspects of their personas in a way that's both surprising and believable. Major's continued ethical shift into Fillmore Graves' good soldier mode is more than a little disappointing, but consistent with what we've seen from him in the past. Once he gets a sense of what seems right, he tends to go headlong down that path, regardless of how it affects himself or others. We haven't we haven't seen every step of his decline this season in the same way that we have previously, and I wish we could have seen more of his caring side with the teens. But I find his current arc sadly plausible. Do you have anything to say about that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think part of the struggle that we always have on iZombie is that we have such a great cast of characters, and then we're also trying to service an A story with the case of the week. Um, and it's always so hard to play like every emotional beat that we really want to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. will definitely see more of his caring side with um, the the new recruits. Um, there's a lot more to come with them. And um you're going to see a lot of the history between him and Liv emerge as well. So there's uh, still more of the Fillmore Graves side of it to come. But I think what people love about Major is going to come out in full force by the end of the season. Oh, awesome. That's great to hear. Um, And uh, I'll continue. Uh, Clive's lack of game was a big surprise to me, but one which I also found plausible upon deeper reflection. While Clive has always been a sharp dresser and very personable with his friends, we know he's a bit of a lone wolf, and his relationships have always been with assertive women, Dale, Wally's mother, and the Badge Bunny. (laughs) We've never (laughs) seen him actively pursue a relationship on his own. Finally, Dale's jealousy is something which I didn't see coming, but adds a complexity to an already too complex relationship. I trust the writers are going to give Bozano the ability to work things out. Right, guys? (laughs) Well, I can't tell you that, but I will say we talked a lot about um, just the tone of that scene between the two of them because we didn't want to make her too spiteful or jealous because this was an agreement that they both went into together, having an open relationship. And I think the goal was to play the hurt because she just can't help it. Like she just can't help, but feel that jealousy, even though she's fighting it and doesn't want to. Um, But yeah, it's going to get, it's going to get more complicated between them. (laughs) Good. (laughs) We like complication. Um, uh, He continues as for the action in this episode, the talking head thing is something which I've had, which I've some problems with besides the impossibility of Dino's talking or eating, Without being connected to lungs or stomach, when did Donnie get samurai skills? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's certain things that we're willing to, even if we feel like the audience won't suspend their disbelief, it just feels like it's worth it because it's it's so fun and such a good set piece. And we were just willing to, to go there with these two. And I think we knew that Donnie especially would really would really sell it and nail it. And I think he did. Uh, the live hitting on Levon sequence seemed like a callback to Liv and Blake when she was on Erotica Brains. Oh wow! Are he, maybe it means Drake. <laughs> means Drake, right? Yeah, yeah right. I think it's definitely true. Like a lot of the um, sexed up brains seem to happen when she's at the beginning of a new relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it was really fun for us to get to play because I think part of being a player is the thrill of the chase. Yeah. Um, and getting to play that a little bit with um, Liv and Levon in this episode was just seemed very organic to the brain that she was on. I don't think I would have minded it at all if Liv and Levon would end up consummating the relationship, but it was nice to see something different. Um, great to see reporter Rachel again. Hope that we get more scenes with her. Um, love the conflict that Peyton's going to have now between her loyalties to Liv, keeping the peace in Seattle, dealing with Barakas and standing up to Fillmore Graves. Peyton has become a plot focal point in a way that I don't think she's been before. And I'm dying to see what the writers and Ali Machaka have in store for us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You'll definitely be seeing more of her moral dilemma as the season continues. (laughs) 
And he finishes, he says, I'm assuming there's rehearsal footage of Rose McIver trying on a bunch of different hats for this episode, and I want this said footage now. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that um, our wardrobe department usually circulates photographs um, for us to choose from, and I do feel like there was an email that had her in a few different hats. All right. Well, uh, that's all the feedback we can have for today, but I'm going to read some more afterwards. And I just wanted to thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for stopping by. The pleasure was all yours, I'm sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, this was a lot of fun. Mm, yeah, maybe for you. Uh, I really could have cared less, Robin. Wait, uh, are, are you nagging me? No. Um, have you put on some weight since the last time I guested? What? Well, that was fun. I, I um... I guess I'll, I'll move on with uh, feedback. <laughs> uh, I actually haven't hosted this show by myself before. Well, I, actually, I have. These music episodes I've done. Um, all right. So let me just read up the feedback, and uh, I'll see if I can answer some of this myself. Um, I just want to remind you guys to check out the app from our friends at TV Time. If you want to join a global community of TV watchers where our podcast, amongst others, is currently scream- uh, screaming and streaming, download the TV Time app today. Go to tvtime.com for more details. And thank you to everybody who's listening through the app. I wanted to read some of these TV time quotes. Civil War says, I used to really like Major and Liv, but now he's become an asshole and he doesn't deserve her. The look Peyton gave him represented mine as well. Yep. Uh, Fatima uh, says, honestly, need a VP of getting stuff done in my life right now. (laughs) Agreed. And uh, Zuper Zapdos says... Damn, that was a gut punch when Bazio told Clive she didn't sleep with anyone. I don't know about him, but I had to turn myself into a zombie for her instantly. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, uh, Facebook, we have Darren here. Quick reactions. What makes... What makes Clive a good detective is what is interfering with his relationship with Basio. He needs to stay detached emotionally to do his job, but the fact he won't talk about anything personal is screwing things up for him. I think Major is trying to do what he believes is best. I think part of the shooting at the Alt Weekly was to get closer to Russ and see if we can, he can find out how far up the black market goes. But he may have burned a bridge with Peyton. And will Peyton, will Peyton help Liv out now because of Fillmore Graves, or will she try to stop Liv to keep her away from the Anvil, or as we've heard before, called the Melon Smasher, right? Um, he continues, uh, I have a feeling that the new Renegade operation is discovered and Levon becomes the latest Spinal Tap drummer. Sorry, guys. You know how it goes for her boyfriends. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. Uh, Dave has a whole checklist of stuff. Here here we go. One, Max. Very inventive way to kill someone. Two, Donnie. Wow, that was intense. Almost like watching Walking Dead for a few moments. His head sitting on the counter was great. So how long could a zombie head survive? Well, you know, from the way Sarah was talking, it sounds like we could just put Dino into storage and pull him out someday and he'd still be, you know, chatting away or not chatting as Dino does. Number three, Clive getting dates. Very awkward. This open relationship stuff is just going to end well. Uh, Basio looked hurt. Four, filming the activities Liv is doing is so going to come back to haunt them. Yes, I agree. Five, nice call back to the uh, Us Weekly girl. girl. Um, now as... Us Weekly? You mean the 206 Weekly? Um 
Now as to the uh, – just imagine Us Weekly for New Seattle. Zombies, they're just like us. Um, now as to the uh, newspaper shutdown, what a mess. Clearly, Fillmore Gray Seattle is becoming less and less of a democracy. Chase really does have a tough job protecting both zombies and humans from each other and outside forces. Now firing upon the staff of Us Weekly is <laughs> just stupid. They easily could have killed someone. And I agree. Um, yeah. Um, major. A little bit too far with the, you know, bullets and all that. Mm. Uh, number six. Uh, Chase really is depending more and more upon Major. VP of getting stuff done. Great line. Seven. Another budding relationship for Liv. How long before he dies? Winky face. <laughs> Winky face emoji. Number eight. As to making fake IDs for the zombies they turn. Just having an ID does not mean you're in the system. I know my state's ID has a scan bar that more and more places use to verify that it is a valid ID. Maybe I'm thinking about this too hard, but there you go. And now Peyton knows what she's up to. Yes, Dave, it's called suspension of disbelief. And uh, who knows? You know, maybe these, there are barcodes already on them that, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it works. What do I look like? I'm just a podcaster. Let me play a voicemail because my uh, voice is dying. And I'm really creeping myself out sitting in this dark room talking to myself. Uh, here's one from Jen. Hey, Jen. All right. Hey, guys, it's Jen calling with just a few thoughts on this week's episode, some of which I'm sure you've already addressed. But uh, first, how does Liv switch between wig and tan and zombie mode so quickly? I definitely need the name of her makeup remover. Also, have we previously established that beheaded zombies can still survive? I thought that in this world, zombies still kind of had circulation they have to eat and everything like their metabolism and their pulse was just really slowed down so even though that was kind of cool to see the head on the counter it didn't really make sense to me it kind of seems weird and like they're changing the rules of the world on us Um, science come on um (laughs) major not being able to look at peyton was kind of heartbreaking at the end there in that scene um because she really wants to know why he's saying what he's saying or I guess why he's doing what he's doing but I guess he needs to maintain uh, the respect of this newfound relationship that he has with that other guy at Fulmar Graves so that he can continue being the vice president of getting things done for Chase um, so I guess we'll see what's going on with that um, I feel like Clive and Basio really need to have kind of way more in-depth conversations about their relationship and what it means to be in their open relationship and also I just like more Basio on iZombie period I feel like we hardly ever get to see her I know that actress is doing lots of other things Mm. Um, but it would be cool especially since this is such a big part of Clive's storyline if we actually saw some more meaningful conversations between them Um, this is us maybe emotionally manipulative but it also has our favorite Green Arrow Justin Hartley and I know Steph will back me up on that so there's that Um, (laughs) I don't totally agree with what um, the guest the writer who was on last week was talking about with viewers not really liking or connecting with 
the brains when there are more negative personas. That wasn't really what I was personally feeling. Um, in this ep, the brain definitely wasn't necessarily a positive character, but we still got moments like when Liv and Levon were walking to the church where we could see her be herself and just sort of explaining that she's on this brain for a case and say, hey, I'm on this brain and, you know, still have a conversation on as herself with kind of the brain personality kind of coming through. Whereas earlier in the season, like with the high society brain and the rom-com brain, it was just like full on brain persona the whole time. And so for me earlier in the season, that was really kind of what I was finding hard to watch because we're supposed to, you know, we've been watching live for however many years, three years, four years, what have you. And it's live that we care about. We don't really necessarily care about the brain persona. So in those earlier episodes, to have little to no trace of the live character for me it was it was hard to stay engaged in those stories but I really think that in the more recent apps they've gone back to kind of playing the duality of Liv's personality as well as the brain personality a little bit better it's more nuanced and so I just think it's been better in the past couple of episodes and also to Steph's point um in the, I think, the last episode of your podcast where she mentioned that, um, you know, it's better when the brain persona is more developed, not kind of wishy-washy like the rom-com brain was. Uh, and then, okay, I know I'm not supposed to talk about science, but come on. on the one hand, <laughs> I'm like, yes, they said optometrist or optometry on a TV show and my whole life is validated. But on the That's other right. hand, like, what is optical glass? What are they talking about? Um, nobody has glasses made out of glass anymore. Spectacles are really made out of plastic. Also, do you, <laughs> people think that we as optometrists are, like, making your glasses, like, making the glass for your glasses in our office? Yeah. Why would anybody have the ingredients for making optical glass in their <laughs> dispensary so i know that this is super like specific and not everybody has my knowledge on the subject but for me this murder was just too out there wacky it makes no sense to me like i tried to watch it twice to see if maybe i just was like missing something or give it the old kind of like really sod and try to understand where they're coming from but this just makes no sense to me like i don't have chemicals for making optical glass in my office so <laughs> sorry just i know you have the writer on the show and but it just does not make sense to me so um yeah it was just weird um yeah i i could understand coming from her line of work uh she might be a little bit more sensitive to that than uh than most so yeah, that's fine jen that's fine Nobody's going to be bothered by that. Anyways, as always, thanks for all the hard work you do on your podcast, Robin. And I'm looking forward to listening to this app and also um, seeing what happens as the season unfolds. I really think, you know, a lot of stuff just got set up in these apps and they are kind of moving the story along. But I still really dislike the preacher. I'm interested to see what's happening with the whole like Mama Leone crew, I mean, live smart enough to break in to steal stuff to make IDs, not smart enough to lock her door. I, I don't know. There's some stuff in this episode that was a little bit uneven, like I said, hard for me to suspend my disbelief. 
but you know the brains the murders are not really what's important it's moving the story along so um yeah i'm still looking forward to seeing where it goes but just some stuff i couldn't get past this episode so have a good week and uh looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say jen thank you for that uh lengthy voicemail um Let's see what else we have here. Uh, Nutty. Nutty says, I actually like this episode a lot. It hit on Liv's struggle with the brain controlling her, though I am not keen on the idea that wanting a first time in a relationship not being a hookup is girly. Just means uh, it means being invested in a relationship. Um, I love the developments with Clive. I feel like he's pushing himself to make it work for Dale more than him needing sex. I feel like they need more of a talk than that, though. Open relationships need communication. If they haven't discussed any ground rules by then, they were aiming for disaster. Agreed. Major is really going overboard, but I think he thinks he is in the right. I did really like him owning the Chaos Killer title, though. That was a great line. Peyton discovering Liv's activities is a wrinkle that isn't easily overlooked. When Clive has a feeling of what had a feeling of what Liv was doing, he tried to help, but he knew he was better off not knowing. If he knows for sure, he has a duty to act. Same with Peyton. How is this going to go? Is going to be interesting. Um, Liv wearing a wig that is totes Rose's hair. I've been noticing the white hair looking more and more fake this season. Does that, this have something to do with Rose filming something else like the Christmas Prince or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she was filming anything during iZombie. And of course I don't have Sarah here to ask, but, um, yeah, I thought she did Christmas Prince during her break. And, uh, if, cause I, you know, I, I stalk her uh, Twitter feed, you know, and like all the rest of the cast. Um, just like she's filming Daffodils now that um, uh, her filming for this past season is over with. So I don't I don't think so. Um, and uh, finally, I think I think that's all I have here. Uh, finally, I do have one more voicemail and it's from our buddy Jeff. Here you go. Hey, Robin and Sarah. This is Jeff X-Force 11 leaving my feedback. So, I enjoyed aspects of this week. I did not appreciate the brain that Liv was on and the way that she was pushing things. I did really enjoy the Clive and Bazio storyline, the tension there, the back and the forth. I've always enjoyed Clive and to see him struggle so much and then to find out he took it to the next level and Bazio hasn't. Oh, that was just heartbreaking. And I've got to say that the whole storyline about smuggling folks and, and doing these ideas... I really am digging that. I am digging the fact that Peyton now knows what Liv is doing, and I think she's going to use her powers behind the scenes at the mayor's office to help. So I really appreciate those aspects of the storyline and look forward to see where those take us. Last week is still my favorite of the series, but I really enjoyed these aspects of this week. Thanks. X-Force 11 out. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, That's it for feedback. And it looks like I got to wrap this show up by myself. 
<laughs> next time on iZombie, uh, let's play the um, trailer for uh, Season 4, Episode 8, Chivalry is Dead. Monday. Anybody bring a can opener? A medieval murder. LARPing. It's actually called LARPing live action role playing. So it's like a sex thing. No. With a zombie twist. Fear not, I have slain the rodent fowl. I think she killed the storage closet mouse. I zombie. All new Monday at 9, 8 central on the CW. Okay, on the next episode, Liv consumes the brain of a murdered live action role playing knight in order to solve his murder. Peyton uncovers a truth about Liv. Hmm, I wonder if uh, it has anything to do with that ID printer. And Major embarks on a mission. So, uh, tune in next week for that. And, uh, well, I guess it's just me saying goodbye. So, uh, hand wavy emoji. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robinero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, a friend of the show, Cheyenne, contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombie. Zombie love. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time, so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!